Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that number. Two quick announcements. I'd be remiss. Uh, pray for my father-in-law. He goes in tomorrow to have the fluid drained once again in preparation for the MRI on Wednesday, not only for comfort, but also to get a better picture. So tomorrow he goes in, I believe, quarter to two uh, for that procedure, and then Wednesday uh, for the MRI up in Philly. So pray for them as we continue to see what the doctors can tell us on that note. And then I was handed a note here, uh, a big praise. Many people have been praying for a long time, and it's ironic because I was just thinking about him the other day, and it says, Josh's cancer is in remission, and he's back to work full time. So those of you that have been consistently praying for Josh and the family, there's an answer to prayer, and as the ladies just sang, it's amazing what God can do. So thank the Lord that Josh is back to work and it's in remission. Good morning. It is no secret what God can do. I'm thankful for that, for that song. Thank you, ladies. We're going to be in Psalm 107 this morning. <clears throat> Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a song of thanksgiving, primarily for the deliverance of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. It describes the horrors suffered by these unfortunate travelers, the troubles that they, that they went through, their fears, their, their dangers, the temptations, and how the King of kings and Lord of lords delivered them from that. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16, it talks about the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the only time that it's all caps. And that title indicates someone who has power to exercise absolute dominion over all of his realm. And for the Lord Jesus Christ, that realm is all of his creation. All rulers, all other rulers, will be conquered or abolished, and he alone will reign supreme as king and lord of all the earth. There's no power, there's no king, there's no lord that can oppose him and win. And likewise, there's nothing that this world or life can throw at us as his children that can defeat us, that can stifle us, that can condemn us. There's only one person that has the power to do that, and that's my king. And that's the title of our message this morning is My King. I'm going to assume when I say my king, it's our king. Uh, I just want to take a few minutes in, in Psalm 107 and verses 1 through 9 to describe some of, the, some of the things to introduce, if you will, things that my king is, has done for me, things that I've seen in my life. <clears throat> so we'll begin in verse 1. In Psalm 107, the Bible says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go into the city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. 
We're thankful for that mercy that endures forever. And Father, as we look into your word today, we know that, that if I simply read your word, Lord, you promised that it would not return void. But Lord, we pray this morning that you'd have something for us, Lord. You'd teach us something from your word that we would be able to use, that would comfort our souls and our hearts, Lord. We'd be able to use in our, in our lives to bring the lost to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Lord, we want to glorify you in all that we do. And we pray that be the case in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 4. Primarily be looking at just a couple verses in the middle there. 107 in verse 4 says, And they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, and they found no city to dwell in. Have you been there? Have you been to that place where you've been wandering? I'm not talking about coming out of the mall and trying to look for your car. Right? Because you forgot to look at that little sign. It's funny, I was waiting for, for Brooke the other day at the Cumberland Mall. It's amazing the number of people that come out and you see them and they you got to get their bearings first. I'm talking about that feeling as if you've gone astray. That feeling as if, as if there's no place like home, or no place feels like home, should I say. That no place feels safe. Maybe we can define this as loneliness, the sadness because we feel as if we have no friends or no company, nowhere to go, nowhere to turn to, and no one to turn to. Interestingly enough, I found in my own life that the times that I've felt the loneliest, I've been surrounded by the most people. I felt as if the people around me just didn't understand what I was going through whether it be among Christians who didn't understand my struggles and my temptations and my frustrations that I was dealing with, among family members who, for one reason or another, just, just, didn't, just didn't feel that connection, and obviously among the lost. Maybe we define it as depression, that feeling of, of severe despondency or dejection, hopelessness and sadness for no reason at all. That's important because if you can identify why you feel hopeless and sad, then chances are you're not depressed. I'm not a clinician, but I'm guessing that there's, there's some things in life that just make sense that you feel down. You feel down and out or hopeless or feel dejected. Life is full of ups and downs. It's full of surprises and concerns. It's full of discouragements and unfairnesses. It's full of disappointments and frustrations. And we get to that point, we can know the one thing, that God has not moved. He's waiting there to rescue us. He's waiting there to comfort us. As we're wandering in the wilderness in a solitary way, we feel as if no place is like home and God is standing there waiting for us to draw nigh unto him. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. There's a responsibility that we have as Christians to first draw nigh to God. And then he promises us the world. So don't be surprised when you feel disheartened or miserable. God gave us emotions. I was thinking about that this week is, is some of the reasons why God gave us emotions. I think one of the reasons is, is it's a warning sign. It should prompt us to do specific things in our life. And one of those things is to set our eyes upon the one that can deliver us. To recognize that in ourselves we're nothing. and In ourselves we can't accomplish anything. And that he's the only one that has the power to do that. And that's my king. The one that has promised to never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5 tells us. In his farewell address to Israel, Moses reminded them 
of Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6 when he said, Be strong and of good courage, and fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that, do, that goeth with thee, and will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The one that promised that if we call upon him in the day of trouble, he will deliver us in Psalm 50 and verse 15. The one that promised to be our shelter and our strong tower from the enemy in Psalm 61.3. And the one that promised to be with us and not to be dismayed in, in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. And what's interesting there, God speaks there in tenderness. He says, fear not for I am with thee. Not only am I within calling distance, right? Because we think we have to call out to God, but I'm right there with you. I'm right there beside you. He says, are you weak? Because I'll strengthen you. I'll give you what you need if you'll come to me. Fear not. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God, and I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And there's only one person that can do that, and that's my king. Verse 5 continues on. He says, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. I would guess that few of us here have ever been to the point of starvation. I know a few may have been, for one reason or another. But I'm guessing that few of us have, have gotten to that point where we truly have starved. But to be hungry and thirsty, I'm sure that many of us have been at, at that, uh, in that situation. I remember, even now, I'm very thirsty. <laughs> um, in sports and things like that, you're thinking, you know, Coach, if you just pull me out, because I'm, I mean, I, I'm parched here, right? My mouth is dry, and I need, but, but never to the point of death, for sure. But maybe to the point of fatigue, maybe to the point of dizziness or faintness. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus had compassion on the multitude as he preached to them. He said, I don't want to send them away lest they faint. He said, so let's feed them, right, with the loaves and the fishes. Kay's not here. So I'll admit this, that I get very irritable when I, if I don't get my food. And uh, it's one of the things that, that she says, you must be getting hungry. Um, we get weak. If we, don't, if we don't eat, we get weak. Likewise, when we don't spend time with God, we get spiritually weak. I'm sure we've all seen the sign or heard it the, the, on, the, on the church sign, right? One week, W-E-E-K, without God or without the word makes one week, W-E-A-K. There's truth in that. If this is the only time we spend time with God and we go till next, this time next week without him, there was a, uh, I, go, I try to go to the gym in the mornings. And there's a, there's a uh, fellow there in the morning when I get there, and he's normally there when I get there and there when I leave. So I must be doing something wrong because he's spending a lot more time there than me. Uh, but he's there every day. And we have conversations. I said, you know, when do you... You know, what days do you come? You know, do you split them up three days a week, four days a week? And he said, no, I'm here every day. He says, because I don't want to get weak. I don't want to, I don't want to, now there's some disagreement on whether that is true or not. But however, his point is, I'm going to continue every day to grow stronger and stronger. And we should, should be the same way with the Word of God. I found that as I, if I miss a day reading the Word of God, the next day is much easier to miss. We were just talking the other day, I don't know, in Sunday school maybe or somewhere that, um, you know, we come back, if, if we miss a day, we have something going on with family and we miss a day, uh, evening service for some reason. The next, the next week, it's, it's a little bit easier to miss that. We get into a habit. 
But if I'm in the Word of God and I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God daily, then those things are going to come much easier. And God's going, God's going to burden my heart through His Word, the things that I should be doing, and make me stronger. And this was the case with these travelers. They were both physically and spiritually being affected. They were overwhelmed physically, and it says, and their souls fainted in them. Maybe at times they've even lost hope. You lost hope? <laughs> Not me. My hope stands on the solid rock. There's been times I've lost hope. You know, there's times I've, you know, you, you, you teach your children certain things, or you, as a father or a husband, there's certain, certain uh, things that you want to you do throughout life that you think are going to have an outcome that's specific to how you want the outcome to be, and they don't turn out the way you want them to be. And you start to lose hope of whether or not you've, you've really done things correctly. Think of our country and the, the hope of a future. Think of our church and whether or not we've lost hope in our church. Not the building, but in the people. And our ability to be effective in our community. Have we lost hope? I'm going to suggest here that their physical focus affected their spiritual state. If they lost hope, if they lost the courage to keep on keep, keep, keeping on, they must have taken their eyes off the king. Over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, I'm just going to read a couple verses over there. In verse 14, it says, knowing that, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up us also by Jesus and shall present, you with, with, present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, or overflow, or surge up to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but through, though our inward man perish, yet our, our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. My king, in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 21, tells me that he, de- he will deliver me. In John chapter 8 and verse 28, he will teach me. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8, he will make a way for me to escape. In Philippians 4.19, my God, my king, shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, he reminds me that he humbled thee and, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knowest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee known that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. All that he requires and all that is required is that I take my eyes off the physical and I focus and draw nigh to God. Our strength comes from the word of God, from the spirit of God, and he's the only one that I can turn to, and that's my king. Verse 6 continues on. He says, then, he cried, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Is it me, or why does it always take so long? Why does it get to the point where I have to cry to the Lord in trouble? I have to go through that wandering. I have to go through that hungering and that thirsting. I have to go through that fainting of my soul, that doubt, that discomfort, to the point where I get to, I get to the point where I have to cry unto the Lord in my trouble. But it says there, and he delivered them out of their distresses. 
Proverbs 8, verse 17 says, I love them that love me, and and those that seek me early shall find me. So no no matter how troubled we are, we know that God is waiting for us if we'll simply reach out and call upon his name. I was thinking about that. There's times I get, for the most part, I'm a little OCD, so my keys go in a certain place. There's, I, I kind of keep it. There's sometimes, you know, you go looking for a tie or for maybe my belt this morning, and I don't know where I put it, and you're searching all over the place. And, uh, but there's one thing in the house that I know for sure is always where it's going to be, and that's the refrigerator, because <laughs> nobody's going to move the refrigerator, <laughs> and I find it often. God says, if you seek me, you shall find me. God is not moved, and he's right where he always has been. He's right where he always will be. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. And God promises to answer the cries of his children. He also promises to answer the cries of the lost. Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm guessing everyone here is saved this morning. But the message that we need to take to the lost is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if they're out there and they're, they're wandering in the wilderness, or they're wandering in their life, they're lost, they're hungry, they, there's, there's something that they need that they understand, you know, there's something missing, there's a void in my life, that there's something out there, if they simply cry into the Lord in their trouble, if they simply turn to God, that they can know beyond a shadow of doubt that they're a child of the living God. Let us be honest here, though. Being delivered out of our distress does not always mean that we're delivered out of our situation. It's difficult. I had a, a, a conversation with someone this past week about why God allows things to happen and, and getting them to understand that it's sin that allows things to happen. Anything good in it is of God, and anything negative in it is, is because of man's sin. And it's difficult for people to, to grasp that for some reason. I guess because we just want to blame someone, and God is the easiest one to blame. But it doesn't mean he's going to deliver us out of our situation. What it does mean is he'll be, he'll be there to defend us. He'll be there to preserve us, to rescue us from our distress, from our anguish, from our grief. And he'll give us the strength that we need to defeat the enemy. The Bible tells me that my king is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. I think about that often, that there's nothing that I can contrive in my mind, that I can create in my mind, no situation that I can think of. There's no situation that Hollywood could make up. You think of all the special effects. and There's no situation that God cannot deliver us from, according to the power that worketh in us. And there's only one that has the power and dominion to do that, and that's my king. Psalm 107 and verse 7 continues, says, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go into the city of habitation. My king will only lead us by the right way, the only way. Not a right way, but the Bible says the right way. The most just way, the most straight way, the most upright way. For eternity, that habitation is the permanent dwelling place in heaven. But for the time being, here on earth, it's right where God wants us. For such a time as this. I don't know if I'm, how far I'm going back. I don't even know if they make these anymore, but I'm sure everybody in here knows that, you know, the little race cars used to wind up and then you point it in a direction and you let it go and 
they still have them. I thought maybe everything would be electronic by now. It says, God, it says, and he led them forth by the right way. That car has no, has no, I mean, once you set that direction, it's not going to change its, its direction. It's gone there. You're not going to set it down here and wound it up and it's going to backfire on you. I don't know, unless you've got a bad spring or something. But the Bible says he led them forth by the right way. You set it down and off they go. God promises to rescue us, to strengthen us, and set us down right where he wants us to be. I thought about that. He led them forth by the, by the right way. The right way is not, only, not always our way. But he says, if you turn to me in your distress, if you turn to me in your times of trial and times of trouble, I will rescue you and I will put you down exactly where I need you to be for my purpose today. been my feeble attempt in these couple of verses here to just describe a little bit about who it, who it is, the one that I call king. From personal experience, he's the one that when I was wondering, he rescued me. When I hungered, he fed me. When I was searching, he taught me. When I was troubled, he delivered me. And when I was lost, he directed me. And that's my king. I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of Dr. Lockridge. Dr. S.M. Lockridge. His mom must have had a sense of humor, because my understanding is the S.M. stands for Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. <laughs> Would you like to go around with that one, huh? I'm going to read something from Dr. Lockridge. He wrote or preached... Uh, this is part of what he preached, this, uh, a snippet called, That's My King. Dr. Lockridge was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church out in San Diego, California, from 1953 to 1993, a prominent African-American church. You've never heard Dr. Lockridge, but if you did, you know that it's hard to, to, uh, to read something that he has, he has preached and not put a little bit of his flair on it. So if I do, you'll have, to, you'll have to excuse me. But Dr. Lockridge talked about his king, and he said this. He said, the Bible says he's the king of the Jews, and he's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness and the king of angel, ages. He's the king of heaven and the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He said, now that's my king. He said, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He said, That's my king. He's the Son of God. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's the august. He's the unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme power in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. 
He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged aged, and rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. He said, do you know him? He said, my king is the key, is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, the gateway of glory, the master of the mighty, the captain of conquerors, the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislators, the overcomer of the overseers, the governor of governors, the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, that's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He said, I wish I could describe him to you. I said, I wish I could describe him to you. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you that the heavens of heaven, the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, but the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. He said, that's my king. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was no one before him. There'll be no one after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. He said, praise the Lord, that's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and the glory is all his, and thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all your forevers, then amen. Dr. Lockridge, that's my king. Said so they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried in the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. I am sure we have a lot of prayer requests, but I'm sure there's a lot of unspoken. I'm sure there's a lot of things that each one of us are dealing with every day that, we, that no one else knows about. That We're wandering in the wilderness in a solitary way. We're out there... F- Speaking for myself, I'm out there thinking I can fix these things on my own. And all I have to do is turn to the Lord in my trouble, and he promises to deliver me out of my distress. There's a world outside these doors that need to know that as they're wandering in the wilderness, as they're trying to find their way in this world and trying to find meaning to their life, you know, the older I get, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm not looking forward to death. And the older I get, I realize that time is just slipping by. And every day that I go without sharing the word of God is one more day that I have to stand before God in heaven and make an excuse of why I didn't share the gospel that day. And then he cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he led them forth by the right way. God promises to lead us forth by the only way that is right. Verse 1, as we wrap it up, says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 
And all these things God does in his mercy. He's redeemed us. Uh, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We in this room have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We've been all these, we've hungered, we've thirsted, we've wandered. He's answered all of our prayers. Even today, he's answered, we hear about his praise for the prayers that he's answered. And the least we can do, our reasonable service, is to give thanks unto the Lord because he redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. Verse 8 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. It's a plea. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness after everything that he's done for his wonderful works to the children of men. And why? Because he satisfies the longing soul and he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your, for your mercy, Lord. Feeble attempt at trying to describe the one and only true God that encompasses everything good, Lord. Every positive quality that we can think of. Father, just pray that you would be able to continue to mold us, Lord, into a mirror image of who you are so that the people around us, Lord, would recognize that there's something different, that they, would, that they want to know what's different, Lord, that we would be able to share with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, not, and that not another sinner would walk through the doors of hell. Father, we just pray that we would do everything that we can in our power, Lord, to be faithful to you in all that we do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to change the song to From Christ Liveth in Me to I something about the king, but I couldn't find anything, so we're going to sing, Christ liveth in me. And, and that should be our message, so that we can show people that Christ is king in our lives. So let's stand and sing, just the first stanza, of Christ liveth in me, 268. thankful this morning that you are our king, that we can look to you. Father, help us to trust you, to, to be obedient to you, to, to glorify your name. Allow the, the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to live through us so that other people can see in our lives your leadership and your kingship. Father, may we be good representatives of your kingdom. Help us as we go forth this week. Be with us for the rest of this day. And we, we claim you, Father. We proclaim you as King and Lord of our lives. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Mm -hmm.